Welcome to Marsha's Plate, a black trans inclusive feminist podcast. A place where we know that not everybody is invited to the cookout. And we also know that every single day is a brand new day and we have the power to make a difference today. So let's do this. social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that. Just search for Marsha's Plate, M-A-R-S-H-A-S-P-L-A-T-E. Y'all ready? Let's get started. Hey, what's up, y'all? Hey. Oh, my God. We are coming off the heels of so many things. <laughs> Ain't we, honey, baby. How, how was your Thanksgiving? My Native Heritage Day was interesting. I went to the shore, of course, to visit the crazy people who I'm genetically linked to. Yes, honey, the crazy is genetic. And it was cool. It was fun. It was typical. I come from a family that has a catering background, so the food is always given what needs to be gave. We've honestly gotten to the point now where for the holidays, like Thanksgiving and Christmas that we always meet, we've gotten more experimental with the food. So nowadays, we like for Thanksgiving, for example, <clears throat> well, for this past holiday that just passed, for example, we incorporated a lot of Caribbean food into the traditional dishes. So. It's always good. It's always good when it comes to the food. You know, I'm a hefty girl. You know, I'm a curvy girl. You know, we like I'm our like... vittles. We like our vittles, baby. Yes, baby, honey. And we don't mind having a little gut over here, honey. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it was given what needed to be gave. You know, um, I went live and recorded my family um, on TikTok and made some money off of them. So it was it was all good vibes. It was all good vibes. <laughs> I love that. I went with um to my sister, my trans sister who I had who I grew up with. She we we transitioned together when we met when we were like 11, 12 and so we have been doing Thanksgiving together for decades and um um for many many years because I'm the mother hen of my group and family. Um, I cooked every Thanksgiving. Um, and so for the past couple of years, I have not, I have not been cooking. And so I just send her money and she cooks and I come over her house and eat and 
you know, love. I live for it. <laughs> I dig it, and I definitely know how that goes. Like I said, catering background. So it really, with me, is not so much sporadic, but it's off and on when I cook for the holidays. It really depends mm-hmm. on my mental health, how well I'm doing, how busy I am working around that time. Um, and yeah, also how much time I spent on the shore around the around the holiday period. Mm. Are you a person who likes to cook? Do they miss your cooking? Because for me, they get mad when I don't cook. Yes, yes. We, you know, I can I cook really well. That is something that I actually really do well. And so um yeah, I I what I love about how I do how we do holidays. And it's something that we do every year, and I just love it. It's our tradition. So once we get done eating, we play board games. Like, it's usually like, you know, six, seven people over there, and we're all queer. We're all, you know, we, this is after we done went to see our families. If, you know, if we have families, um, our relatives, we end the night with our queer family because that's where we're going to have the fun and it's not going to be awkward or people being weird. And so we play classic shit like charades, cards against humanity. We just do fun shit. <laughs> and, and it is so dope. This year we did something new, not something new, a, a new game. And I don't know what the game is called. Maybe the audience can tell me what the game is called. But um I seen it on TikTok. Well I didn't see it. My my nephew, um my gay nephew um Jojo saw it and we were playing it. So I have what it what how you play is you two people pair up and Y'all at y'all count to three and on three, y'all blurt out a word. No, no matter what it is, you just blurt it out. So you start off with two words. So say me and you were playing, and I say one, two, three. And I say, I blurt our word, and my word is brown, and your word is car. Uh-huh. So that starts the game. So what we have to do is on the next count to three. We have to say a word that connects those two words, brown and car. And the goal is to blurt out the same word. I'm so confused. I'm confused. I never heard of this <laughs> game. I'm trying to put it in my head. Honey, you know, maybe the medicinal marijuana is hitting me rich. <laughs> no, so think about it. So you say one word and I say one word and then that's how it starts. So now we both have two words to think about. And so our goal is to try to think about what the other person is going to think. What is the connection between brown and a car? Like what is something that we both could think about and blurt out of our mouths and brown as a car? So let's say a, what's a brown car? Like or what's connecting to a brown car? I immediately thought of Oldsmobile. I immediately thought Oldsmobile too. That was my first car. So what what happened is you would think Oldsmobile and I would think Oldsmobile and we would say Oldsmobile. Like we would say one, two, three, Oldsmobile. Okay, so so it's like, so, all right, correct me if I'm wrong. So it's like a blurt out game, but it's like a partner game. So if you and I are partners, you blurt out brown, I blurt out car, and then all together we blurt out uh, Oldsmobile in order to get the point. Is to that how win, that yes, to we won, if we get that. So, but 
if we blurt out different words, then you got to find the connection between those different words. So say say that you, you say brown and I say car, and then you say Oldsmobile, and I say cutlass. Or, you know, or I say um, taxi. Then we or have to, yeah. or something, whatever it is, whatever the new words is, now we got to figure out something connect until we actually get it right. Okay, so the goal is for, um, if you and I were partners, the goal would be for us to eventually blurt out the same word. Same right? word. That's the goal. Right. Yes. Right. So you so but it gotta go fast. You can't overthink it. So it's like one, two, three, car. One, two, three, boom. One, two, three, boom. And you just gotcha. burden out and trying to get to the same word. This the I I it just everybody just keep going, okay, your turn. Da, da, da. And it just was so fun because we blurt we blurting out the most random shit. And then we all come together at some point. And then me, it was funny because me and my sister, because you know, we grew up, we from the same place. We grew up the same place. We think really, really think like our brains were so on point that we always won. It was so dope. So it was fun. I loved it. I think it, I think it. It's interesting because I think. I attempted to do a similar thing with my family. I wanted to incorporate a board game. I was trying to be different. And to be fair, I'm sponsored by the board game company. So I actually wanted to try out the game and play it. It's a drinking game. My family is a libations kind of family, you know. Um, thought it would be perfect. Them Negroes did not want to play no drinking game, honey. I got cussed out for wanting to play a drinking game. They made it very clear that, honey, they drink because they want to, not because it's competitive, honey. So they, they didn't want to do that, honey. So we went back to the traditional, which is playing space. Oh. I do, I do have, um, you know, I'm small town, rural town. The queers and the straights are mixed. So I don't have a particularly gay family on the shore. I do have queer people who I am in family with, but we don't get together specifically just amongst other queer people. Whenever we do get together, there's always going to be some cis hats in the mix. Anyway, I have a huge family and not everybody gets together all at the same places. So what I do is I go with my main family, which is like, or my closest family, which is my grandmother and her kids, all of us. And they're a little more bougie than my ratchet family that I go with later on in the evening. But the nights always end with us playing space and or at somebody's bar. Mm. Okay. We did go to a bar. We did go out. We like space and shit like that, but that's that can't incorporate the whole group of people because usually it's four people in space. So we and need something. We play games that can incorporate everybody. And see, I agree with that. I live for those moments, you know, as the older people continue to dry and turn into evaporated chocolate milk in my family. <laughs> and we will continue to try and incorporate our board games and our new ways of existing in Black culture and Black community. But as of right now, the hierarchy and the negrity in my family, when we're together... <laughs> When we're together, it's very much given um, space. Old school space. It's very much, it's very much given space. It's very much given the talk, niggas. talk. Oh baby, oh lord. And then even the bougie family, the bougie family where I'm from, people in general where I'm from don't like to play tonk for free, even if they're only playing um, quarter hands. Right, baby. 
don't bring up no taunt around these niggas. I'm one of them. I'm I'm a person who's never gambled diamond. You will never see me spending my coin in the casino. I will go. I will hang out. I might play a couple games here and there. I am not a lucky person in that sense. I have never been lucky when it comes to gambling. It has never been my thing. So as soon as the Negroes start talking about money and all that, honey, I'm off the board. Mm. See, mm. The, the games that are kind of going out of style that I don't see pay, people play anymore um, because the older old heads have either passed away and they don't do it is, you know, space still is around. But um, like Pinochle, have you ever played that? Child, I've seen a Pinochle deck. Honey, I remember being a little kid and being in the store and seeing those decks more often because you had to avoid those decks in order to get the poker deck, you know, the your your regular playing card deck. And baby, I remember thinking it was pronounced pinnacle, but I have never <laughs> in my life understood seeing that game in action. I have also never seen uh what is the other one like Jen Rummy or something? I think Jen Rummy. Never even been around people who play that. I've assumed that those were all just white people games, but you know I'm from the country, so. Mm -hmm. I feel mm. like Jen Rummy and Tonk is really close. Oh, I get the impression that in a lot of these cases they were traditionally white games, and you know niggas just put their spin on it. And when we put our spin on anything, we're gonna change the name. And <laughs> Honey, the name and or spelling, even if we keep the same name, it ain't going to look like the same name when you write it down. Mm -hmm. Well, we also, so th th we're coming off of Thanksgiving, so that was, so it sounds like we had an amazing time. We also did something the week before that. <laughs> they did. They did. I didn't even get a chance to recover from Houston before I was in the Thanksgiving. So right now, baby, I'm recovering from both, honey. I know you see my face over here sagging. <laughs> so the week before Thanksgiving, we had Black Trans Empowerment Week here in Houston. And Thank it you, is, man. yes, and it is an official, I, I don't know, holiday for us. We got the mayor to proclaim it as it's like it's official for the city. Um, the yeah. um, um Save Our Sisters United, led by Atlantis Narcus and um Vernus McFarland of the Mahogany Project pushed the mayor to um, acknowledge. It's two things that we got acknowledged. We got the Monica Roberts Day, which is in October, and we, um, or August, is it August or October? I can't remember exactly. Um, but, um, and we got the Trans Empowerment Week officially proclamated. And so ever since we got a proclamation, we have been celebrating it big. And so this year, we did it really, really big, and they allowed us, Marsha's Plate, to partner with them and do a live show. And so mm -hmm. we had the amazing Transgender District um, sponsor us, and we were able to bring Jay and Bree down to Houston and show them a good time. And we did a live show. Unfortunately, we did not get to record it because of some technical difficulties. And so we can't let y'all hear it, but... But we did have an amazing show. The event was dope. So tell me, you know, I'm from Houston, so I've been to this experience. So you tell me, how was your experience for Black Trans Empowerment Week? First and foremost, I want to give a shout out to SOSU Save Our Sisters United. I want to give a shout out to 
everybody who I met and truly connected with, shout out to Landis, shout out to Vernus, shout out to Brianna, shout out to Aubrey, shout out to everybody who I met, shout out to Ricky, shout out to um, Diamond and Jay, who I officially got to meet in person. Um, yes, um, shout out to the Mahogany Project, shout out to Marshall's Plate. Like, I'm just so grateful and so thankful. Um, I've been just, it's, it was a wonderful experience, especially now with me coming out of my nervous breakdown, coming out of my mental breakdown and still coming to clarity, still waking up. It was definitely an Oz experience for me. Um, first time flying, first class. Um, you know, shout out again to Diamond who advised me to put that in my contract from now on. I am spoiled on first class, honey. I was one of those people. Absolutely loved Houston. Baby, Diamond and Jay can vouch, honey. I ate too much. I drank too much. <laughs> Um, the, the first night there, you know, I spent my night in my beautiful suite. My first night in my beautiful suite was spent enjoying the beautiful shower, um, you know, and, and the beautiful toilet, you know, we made phone calls to Earl, but I have no regrets. I have no regrets, honey, baby, you know. The food was given what was supposed to be gave. The ambiance was given what was supposed to be gave. I completely fell in love with Houston, Texas. I completely fell in love with everybody that I met. I completely fell in love with my co-host on this podcast, on Marshall's Plate. Um, honestly, at this point, I just want to see Houston in the summer because as of right now, it is surprisingly on one of my lists. On my, it's surprisingly one of the cities on my list um, that I would consider moving to, but I need to see what it's given in the summer because I heard that y'all got heat out there that'll melt people's headlights. So I need to see, an, <laughs> I need to see an experience with what that's given for myself, you know. But um, definitely ready to get back out there, um, baby. Anytime Marshall's Plate needs me, anytime any other organizations or anything that's going down in Houston, if y'all want the crazy psychologist tranny there, I'm here, baby. I want to be there. What about you? Hear me. What about you, Jay? How was your experience yes. with Black Trans Empowerment Week? Oh my goodness. Uh, it was great. <laughs> you know, on a lot of what Bree said, I mean, even before we got there, I've never flown first class. I've flown a lot, but I've never, ever, 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 ever in my life flown first class. One F, okay. See, one. <laughs> I was like, oh, fancy. Okay. <laughs> on the way there and back. <laughs> so that was like a whole experience. Thank you, Diamond, for making that arrangement because that was like, an experience you know it wasn't even just like i'm flying somewhere but yeah um oh my goodness the week we got there what wednesday uh-huh and then yeah. we went to we went we, we went we went to went somewhere to eat everywhere i remember hearing beyonce it was like country music <laughs> country music Selena, country music country music beyonce country music country music Beyonce, Destiny's Child. Well, don't forget about Bun B. <laughs> we got to do the Southern rappers. Right. Right. Baby, I ain't, I ain't hearing no Bun B, honey, but I can co-sign on Jay. Even if they was playing electronic music, Beyonce was going to pop up. 
gas station, Beyonce store. Ooh. Anyway, so that was really cool. But um, yeah, the soul giving and the live show were amazing. It was cool to learn about all the programs that y'all have in Houston. And, you know, being out here in the Pacific Northwest, where it's like not as many black people and also people have just been displaced. So it's like people getting together is not as easy. It was beautiful just to be in community and be welcomed and loved on and just, you know, I didn't, you know, I felt like I was from there, you know what I mean? So really appreciated, really appreciated that energy and like just seeing all the amazing work that's happening with my project and was it saving our sisters, saving our brothers, all the programming, just like regular. It was like regular, regular, and it was beautiful because that's like yeah. what community to me. That's what community is all about. It's like you do, you know, I do me, you do you, and um, you know, when you win, I win. Let's eat. Baby, <laughs> I think. Oh, the show too. The show, the show was amazing too. I I forgot to mention the the podcast, but before you uh, go on, move on, Diamond, I want to mention the podcast experience. Baby, I wish y'all got to hear that live. It was real conversation. It was interactive. Um, Again, shout out to everybody who came to see us. Shout out to Ricky. Baby, honey, Bree Star was drunk. Baby. It was an experience. They really went out of their way to make our venue really, really beautiful. We had a whole beautiful thing yes. behind us that said Michael oh, Clay. Oh, shoot. A whole, oh, then we did a photo shoot. So y'all know um, <laughs> me and me, Mia and Z did a whole photo shoot a couple of years ago. So that was, and then when Jay came on, we kind of, and because it was like black background, it was easy to kind of <laughs> kind of pose him into the picture. Cause because uh, the, the actual picture of me, Mia, and Z, it actually wasn't us all together. We had separate pictures that we put together, and so it made bringing Jay in easy. And so now there's a whole different group. It was like, oh, we gotta get some more pictures. And so since I knew that y'all were coming um, to Houston, I was like, this is the perfect time. Let me hire a photographer. And um, we hired um, Frank from Creative X here in Houston. And it was, I I, I always like working with him because he makes me really, really comfortable and he's professional. And, you know, he's a fan of our work, all of our work. (laughs) Yes, yes. Shout out, shout out again to Frank, aka Barbara Coa. Baby, that was, the whole Houston trip for me was just like, what do you call that? Like a full circle moment? Like, it's <laughs> like all of these things that I've been working on for God knows how long, whether I realized I had been working on them or not, it's like things falling into place in the Houston trip was just like an example, mm-hmm. even in meeting Frank and meeting Bar- Barbara Coa in, in person. Like, this is somebody who has supported me and as an activist before even being a content creator and now has been completely supporting the, the journey. And I had no idea that that was going to be my photographer and my first professional photo shoot as a woman since transitioning. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was your first photo shoot my well, first, in, as after transition. Yes, this has been my mm-hmm. first professional photo shoot since transitioning, and and I mean in in every single way. I hadn't even had a school picture taken professionally taken um, since I became a woman. Every picture that anybody's ever seen of me um, was a picture that was taken by myself. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I feel like wow. we look good as fuck. I yeah. can't wait to send yes. him the pictures. I'm sending him the pictures tonight. 
because um, hey. we were able to choose which ones we wanted to use. And so I can't wait to make the new podcast art because I have an idea because my goal was to take uh, the, our individual favorite pictures of ourselves and make some kind of thing with it to be the art. So anyway, y'all will see the photo shoot. We look good as fuck and it's going to be dope and we can't wait to show y'all. So I want y'all to tell us how was your Thanksgiving? Um, tell us how did you spend trans um, trans awareness week? I know nationally is called usually called trans awareness week. Um, but you know, we like to center black folks um, because you know, we black. <laughs> and, so, and so that's what we do. But um, how did y'all spend the week? How did y'all celebrate your transness? How did you celebrate your trans siblings? How did you celebrate and educate and whatever you do during this um, trans empowerment week? And how did you spend it with your family when it comes to um, um, Indigenous Day? <laughs> National Indigenous Day, Indig Indigenous Folks Day. So tell us what you experienced this whole past two weeks. We have been, you know, kind of busy, so we haven't really released the episode, but but we got y'all. We back. <laughs> so hashtag Marsha's Plate. Oh my God, I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, 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 yay. So not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know, I also donate to other podcasts. I donate to other organizations. I have my finger on the post of the community. And I know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here. So you're not only helping to sustain us, you're helping to sustain other people in a community. Because I put my money where my mouth is. You know, that's just the kind of bitch I am. Community is fuck. <laughs> so thank you. I really, really appreciate you. And if you have not become a patron, why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. All right. So there are so many great shows out right now some of my favorite shows have either come out with their season two or come out with or just new documentaries have come out um high on the hog i don't know if y'all watch that but high on the hog just released their it is a um just released their season two and it is a documentary about a, a, a four-part series about um the culinary arts like black history in the culinary arts and the first season was amazing and taught me so much and then this new season is so amazing and so if you um if you want something that is about food if you're a foodie and you want to learn about the history of food and and just um venerating our ancestors when it comes to our contribution to um the culinary um american culture uh, and that that has you know that has come from Africa and beyond and, and celebrating black history, black American history in the culinary arts of America. If you like that type of stuff, check that out. Also, what else? Um, I recently just watched the Little Richard I Am Everything oh. documentary on HBO Max. And it was so 
eye-opening. Like, you know, I knew Little Richard, but um, this just gave me so much more detail. And so I want to read the um, the introduction to that documentary because I want to discuss it with y'all. So this documentary tells a story of a Black queer, the Black queer origins of rock and roll because he is who he has always said he was, the innovator, the originator. <laughs> I am. Right. Um, and he and, and they talk they talk about his explosion on the scene, on the whitewashed canon of American pop music, because at that time it was nothing but white people on American pop music. And so um Little Richard came and exploded as himself before he, you know, as his his government name is Richard Penniman. Um, and what they show is like this wealth and this archive of performances that bring us into um, Richard's complicated rise to fame that incorporate his queerness, that incorporated, you know, the kind of contradictory parts of his story. Because he goes back and forth from being openly queer to not not being against queerness. And, and, and in his career, he goes back and forth from being, um, mm-hmm. I'm down for all of this. And then I'm like, mm, I'm going to go back to the church and try to do this, you know, do this God thing. And even it, he went back and forth. And so even in the right. end, he went back to, you know, back to being saved and being against homosexuality. And so it's a complicated story and it's told through the archives and through friends that he had that are still living, lovers that he had that are still living, um, managers that he had that are still living. It is so many queer people in this from Billy Porter to even Lady Java, who he dated for many, many years that I didn't know. Lady Java, Lady Java is an iconic trans woman who dated Red Fox, who dated Little Richard, who dated so many, Richard Pryor, the iconic trans woman that, you know, became a star back in these days. And so make sure I want it. I want y'all to check it out because it is a part of our black queer history and it gives so much context. Mm -hmm. So definitely check it out. So what I wanted to ask y'all is what, who are some of y'all queer icons, not necessarily queer as in sexuality, but queer as in just somebody who was kind of like a beacon of light that let you know when you were growing up that you can navigate this world in a different way, that you can, for me, there were people in my life who were like beacons of light that said, oh, I don't have to adhere and conform to this kind of stereotypical um, idea of Black malehood, Black boyhood, um, Black womanhood. And so I want to know who in y'all life, because Little Richard was one of those for me, um, amongst others that I'll talk about after y'all, but who in y'all life growing up were kind of like, like, no, I want to say North Stars, but shining lights on di- a possibility model. That who who were some possibility models for y'all when it comes to queer folks? I'm gonna keep the answer really specific, and it's queerness. And for me, I grew up knowing and being aware of queerness from an identity perspective, from a sexual um, perspective, having gender expression nuances. I I view queerness. Even as a child growing up, I knew queerness to be what I know it as overall now, right? So I'm going to keep it specific. The queer 
icons that I had in my life, the black ones were people that I knew in real life. Um, I felt the disconnect with Prince. Um, I always felt like Michael Jackson was queer. But I'm going to give credit where credit is due. And for me, the queer icon that stands out the most in my head that I could most connect with and that I felt most related to when I was growing up was Paul Lynn. Do y'all know who Paul Lynn is? Nope. Yes. <laughs> you, think, you didn't know who Paul Lynn is? Paul Lynn. I'm a theater kid. I love Paul Lynn. I'm a theater kid too, honey. Um, Paul Lynn was, was Uncle Arthur from Bewitched. I was one of those kids who watched TV Land growing up, who watched Nick at Night growing up, always was into the old classic 70s and 60s sitcoms. Paul Lynn was the gay superstar in Hollywood during the 70s. Essentially a white guy who was snarky and shady and campy and quick-witted, but who was so clearly unable to fit into that box of white maleness that I'd seen everywhere else in the media and on TV and in entertainment. Um, and even to this day, honestly, um, looking back at clips of Paul Lynn to find something to share with y'all, I realized that in a lot of ways, my public persona um, is very shady, like like that old white queen. Rest in peace, Paul Lynn. What about you, Jay? There's a couple different people. I think it evolved over time. You know, when I was like in elementary school, definitely felt more like connected with like, I felt connected to Michael Jackson. I thought there was like something, I don't know what it was, but you know, you a kid. Actually, Little Richard was one of those people um, as a kid. And um, later like Tracy Chapman, you know, I was like, cause I had my, I used to have braids, I played the guitar and I was like, I'm kind of gay. <laughs> Hey, you know what I'm saying? You know, and I was on some like alternative type shit. So it was like, it felt there. I was like, okay, I feel seen. Um, but definitely Queen Latifah, huge. Queen Latifah was a huge influence on me growing up. Um, huge. Um, MC White. Um, later too, like Rosie O'Donnell, because I was into theater and like, also there was like gender stuff. And like, there were not that many women who could be campy. Or who are allowed to be campy. And Rosie O'Donnell, Whoopi Goldberg, obviously is another person, is another person. Um, Queen Latifah and like Aaliyah Delaria. I don't know if y'all know who that is. She's a lesbian comic and actor. And then, oh yeah, cause she was on Orange is New Black. Um, and then, um, yeah, you know, cause like, I was like clearly like gay girl, like a gay boy. <laughs> When I was a kid, so it was, it was very, you know what I mean? So I, that's where I felt like kind of like affirmed with those folks in particular because they did all kinds of stuff and I did all kinds of stuff, right? I wasn't just, you know, playing somebody's mama in all these plays. I also could be campy too and do other things and stretch. Um, as a, as a young actor and performer, where they were just like, you a black girl, and so black girls do this. Here's this monologue from Fences. Here's this monologue from me, and that's it. And this Joe Box, I also did forensics too. So it was like, that was like a big part of my life. Um, but yeah, those, those are definitely um, 
some of the first people that come to mind. But Little Richard definitely actually is one is one of them people. Yeah. George Michael is one of them people. Boy George is one of them people as a kid where you just I didn't really know what it was, but it was like something. You Ooh, know? You stole my secondary. I, I really honestly, Jay, you are, you are validating how I felt about it because a lot of the queers that I connected to were um, were the Caucasians. So it was the boy George and it was the Pauline and it was a lot of those for me. I, and, and hearing you even speak about it is making me, I can't help but recognize and I think it's important to bring up, I can't help but recognize that I think that I felt more comfortable connecting with the white queers because mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, I think that I never had the religious aspects of my life that a lot of the black queers had. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think that that was an added component and, and I was never really one who fought my, you know, I was never really one who felt the need to be closeted. So I think um, in some, in a lot of ways, uh, growing up with the Queen Latifahs and certain other Black queer artists and public figures, I felt that disconnect um, because of that lack of pride. I forgot so, to say Nippy, forgot to say Whitney Houston. I'm so sorry. I was like, oh my God. I, I, I want that. to, <laughs> that, is a, that is a good, because that was going to be my next question. So let me say my list of people, and then I'm going to ask y'all a question that's relevant to what you just what you just said, Jay. So some of the people that y'all just named, of course, are going to be on my list as well. So let me name some of the people that y'all just named. So Boy George, I didn't know exactly, you know, gay or whatever, but because he was so colorful and Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, chameleon. It was just so, just so, yeah, of course, duh, boy George. Um, Little Richard, of course, being black and queer and clearly queer. Um, Queen Latifah, definitely, even, you know, duh. Um, Leah Delaria, she is the first queer person that not the first but she she's just somebody that i reckon that was like loud and proud about being gay that i saw on tv she was doing comedy on arsenio yeah. hall show she did a, a comedy you know how they used uh, during late night television they used to have people come out and do bits and she did a bit and she just was a openly queer woman and it was like so mind-blowing to me as a kid and it was on the arsenio mm -hmm. hall show and I know that Arsenio Hall doesn't identify as queer, but I read Arsenio as queer. And it's, it's just something about Arsenio that read as queer, and I'm not saying he's queer, and I'm not, you know, he might not be. But in my brain, as a kid, I read him as a queer man. Of course, we have the amazing, at the time, amazing to be, but not so amazing now. RuPaul for me. <laughs> RuPaul, RuPaul was just somebody that's that you know was slaying those boundaries. And so, what I was gonna ask you, Jay, and it's, I'm gonna name I'm gonna name some more people, but after I name them, I want y'all to talk about this. Um, does it count if they're not out? Because there are some people who I read as queer 
but they either never came out or didn't get a chance to come out or they don't identify as queer. So when we think about um, like a Luther Vandross, I read, we know now that Luther Vandross is queer, but I read Luther Vandross as queer. And so he was a queer icon for me, even though it never came, he never himself came out as gay. I read him as queer. Um, this person was married to a woman, but I read them as queer. Daryl Coley. I don't know if y'all know. Daryl Coley is a singer in the in a gospel singer who passed away, and I think in 2016. And I read Daryl Coley as queer down, kind of like Bobby Jones. You get what I'm saying? Like we read them. There's a lot of people that read them as queer, and they might have married women. But these are a older echelon of gays that, of course, they marry women oh, in the culture that they're a part of. <laughs> There's tons of gays who have beards. Yes. Tons of gays in the church that got beards. Um, somebody that I don't think get, get enough musical credit when it comes to queer representation, Michelle Indiocello. Like when, yes. when, yes. when her yes. growing yes. up, me growing up yes. wanting to be a musician and seeing her working with so many yes. people, her bald head, her guitar playing bass, yes. and it was such an iconic moment, me seeing her um, perform and being at the Grammys and and just, she she has been nominated for so many Grammys on so many different people projects that we don't talk to me, I don't feel like we talk about her enough. Um, Katie Lang, Katie Lang. Yeah was somebody who was a queer white woman who yeah it's just something about katie lang that just read as queer of course it's queer now but i just just somebody that was iconic to me um prince of course michael jackson of course peewee herman little richard i already oh, said yeah. little richard but um richard simmons richard simmons clearly oh, yeah was a, a icon for me and a queer icon for me that I was like, oh, I read them as queer. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yes, yeah, so I want y'all to tell me, I didn't read Whitney Houston as queer. I, I didn't get the, um, I read Whitney Houston as a hood Newark chick. I didn't, yeah. I never believed the princess, pretty princess. Yeah, she's gorgeous and you know that I, but I, I knew the difference between Pop Whitney and Hood Whitney. I, I could see her cold switching. I could see that this really is a hood girl <laughs> from the beginning. I mm -hmm. knew that, oh, I know what she's doing. And so, but I didn't read, I didn't read her as queer. And I'm glad that I know that she's queer now. But, um, but yes, yeah, so does it count if they don't come out, ever come out as queer? Does it count? Because for me, I feel like it still counts. If I read you as a kid, as queer, and you're giving me the smart and the and the confidence to be who the fuck I am, I count you. So what do y'all think? For me, for me, it counts. It doesn't count in your effects on my confidence in the traits that I share with you. It doesn't. It it doesn't matter. I should say it doesn't matter when it comes to the effect that you played on my overall persona and development as a person, it doesn't matter in that sense. But for me, um, it does matter when somebody is openly queer. Because when we have these conversations, I'm not immediately thinking of the nippies and I'm not immediately thinking of um, 
you know, Usher, and I'm not immediately thinking of Luther Vandross, you know, because that wasn't a part of their image, that wasn't a part of their brand, that wasn't a part of their shtick. And with me being somebody who was always visibly queer, with me being somebody who had no desire to be closeted, but also probably couldn't be very closeted if I chose to be, you know, to, uh, growing up as a boy and, and and being seen as a boy, I was also, I was always extremely femme. I started carrying purses by the time I was in the third grade. Um, so for me, the coming out aspect matters. Now, Prince is a horse of a different color because I feel like in a lot of ways, Prince was open about queerness based on everything that I know in the gossip streets. You know, I'm, I'm not above out on somebody. Um, Dominus. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm not, but I just don't want to add to the fodder in this conversation. I, sometimes that's your only weapon that you got to hit somebody back as a queer person, and I don't definitely hit somebody back with an outing. So that's that's how I feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, baby, you know, sometimes I be outing people by accident because I would be trying to understand how the fuck was they ever in the closet. Like, I never, I, I honestly, <laughs> growing up, growing yeah. up, I I lost respect for Little Richard because when I was growing up and when I was introduced to Little Richard, that was during one of his periods where he was back in the church and, um, you know, denying his queerness or subduing his queerness. Um, and he had made a resurgence in the in the 90s. But like I said, with Prince, it was different. I, I still to this day don't believe that Prince uh, Prince queerness lied so much in his sexuality. Um, I think his queerness lied more in his, in his gender expression and presentation, which he was very out about. So. Yes. And I think that that's the, the what I feel about Queen Latifah too. Um, Queen Latifah, you know, when we first see her getting deep into her stud bag is Cleo from Set It Off. But through, through, through before that, she still had a um, tomboyish swag about her. She still had that kind of, you know, she went from kind of this um, um, hotel crown that, and then she went into, you know, like when she was doing you and I, her videos, she and, and living single, there was always a, you know, she always had some pants on. She all, she had a jersey on. There was always a tomboyish girl in her. We don't, I don't, for me, I don't, I, we don't, she, she doesn't get into like the super masculine braids to the back until set it off. But I did get the tomboyish before that for me. And so <laughs> seeing her in that space and then, you know, having romantic on the living single, having romantic partners as boys and not really having any girl romantic partners, but me still reading her as queer and then the rumors. Part of me is like, yeah, you are you are a beacon of light, but also it was like, ooh, a reminder, like a celebrity reminder that ooh, you can't come out, you can't, you get, you gotta hide it to be this successful. You gotta hide yeah. it because if she was out as queer, I don't think she would right. be who she is today. And so it was just like not anything exactly. against her, but it was a reminder that we how far we needed to go before we re we get the the open pride out Queen Latifah that we have now. I always, I appreciate her and I appreciate her, represent, her representation 
and being a woman who doesn't live for the male gaze, who obviously doesn't live for the male gaze, whether we realize it or not. And that's always been her presentation. Her presentation has always been feminine, has always been woman, but has always been comfortable and has always given strength and security. About not living for the male gaze. I think that's why for myself and a lot of other people who were like queer, aside female at birth, people it was like yeah i see a connection like pre-set it off we don't need set it off set it off was just like an extra it was like a bonus you know what i mean and we and at least for myself and people i knew it just felt like okay this is bonus and then she gonna go back she gotta do what she gotta do because like you mentioned diamond like what are my options here uh what i saw on a local level even right is like there were people that were gay but they could not be out they could be out with other gay people but they could not be out i'm talking about black people right and so if they wanted a certain level of stability, if they wanted a certain level of, 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 of uh, somewhat, you know, positive social determinants of health for the rest of their life, they had to make some choices because society didn't look the way it looks now. And there were real life consequences because we weren't even too far off of like, I'm writing you up because I saw you at a gay bar and putting your name in the paper. Like they were alive for that in a way that we were not, you know what I mean? Like, we didn't experience, I don't know, I never experienced that type of shit, so I can understand, like, why they would be, like, older people, like Queen Latifah, like, you know, she's Gen X, solid. So it's like, that makes sense, and for that era, too, because there's a lot of people that are like, I, you know, I'll let you in, I'm not coming out type energy in, in of Gen X, of Gen Xers in particular, I think. Like, even with Little Richard, like, yeah, it was weird. I wasn't aware at the time when he was kind of caught back up in the church stuff as a kid. So it didn't even really phase me. I just knew flamboyant, the shit, the Apollo dancers. I was like, ah, why not? As a kid, every time Apollo came on, whoosh, you know, the bones and everything. So, like, you know, I, I think I was kind of checked out from some of those things. And so it didn't really phase me. But um, but speaking of somebody who wasn't, um, who's not queer, but definitely was like a queer icon, Erica Alexander, when she was playing Cousin Pam on a Cosby show and obviously um, in, her, in her character on Living Single, because clearly Kyle was gay too, right? So it was like, hey, for me, I just kind of read it as like, they're each other, like everybody got a beer. Cause Queen Latifah to me, I was like, she gay. Clearly was it T.C. Carson? Not T.C. Carson. Was he That's gay too? That's Kyle. Okay. That's Kyle. Kyle. Is it TC? I don't know yeah. if he's gay, but I... I think he's out I was like, now. So I see him in Swerve sure. magazine. Okay. Getting an award. I saw him in Swerve. <laughs> like, you might. You're pretty gay. I guess you're out. Sorry. Allegedly. My bad. I don't want to get, get us in trouble. Brianna Scurry. Oh, that's the other person. She's out now. She was the goalkeeper for the U.S. soccer team that won the World Cup. In 99, and I was a soccer player. I was a goalkeeper. I oftentimes would be like one of two black people at like a tournament or whatever, and like came up with a whole set of black girls who were like, we the black girls playing soccer. But she was my hero, and I knew she was gay. Like she looked so gay, you know what I'm saying? But she couldn't be out. That also during that time, uh, the WNBA started too, because we're not even off of like that far off of what uh, Title Nine. Right, so like, I think 
I think when it comes to outside <laughs> people and birth trans people too, people forget like it was like extra gender, just like race is extra race for black people, right? So like to suggest that we, we don't know what the fuck it is, it's like we had no choice but to know what the fuck it is. You play girl sport. Girl sport disproportionately got gay people. Girl sport disproportionately got trans men and trans masculine people. So like you're in a very gender specific situation and people let you know you can't play that. You can't do this. You can do this. You cannot do that. So I just want to throw that out there, just talking about it, just to put some, just to remind people that sometimes, like, be like, well, you a man now. To you, what the fuck? If I turn around and be white tomorrow, I'm still going to be influenced by forever being black. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, that's not going to go away right away. It's still yes. going to shape how I navigate because I was in the out group. You're coming into spaces as you are regardless of what you look like on the outside. And what you look like on the outside, because testosterone is a hell of a drug, can change rapidly. So while you're trying to adjust to how people are responding to you like this, and then you turn around six months later and look totally different, and then people are projecting cisgender people shit, it's like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is different over here. And we need to just respect that it's different and get to know what the difference is how it how it manifests. I want to make some statements about some earlier stuff that y'all talked about because I see this in, I see this in flamboyant queer men, um, particularly ones that I grew up with, but I see this in in ones that I didn't grow up with, just just in our culture. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in regards to surviving and shifting because of survival. Flamboyant queer men, when they're young, it is a rebellion. It is a rebellion against toxic masculinity. It is a rebellion uh, against um, all the rules of gender. So, you know, the ones that wear the makeup, the heels, like I'm talking about flamboyant gay men, not, um, you know, not trans, but just flamboyant gay men. What happens when they get older is, all of that stuff tones down, particularly after they get into adulthood, because they cannot navigate jobs in that way. Particularly back in back in the day, they couldn't navigate mm-hmm. jobs in that flamboyant way. They had to tone it down. And what happens is, for me, what I see is they blame that toning down on maturity when it's really conformity. To me, like, and this is just my own personal opinion, watching and talking and looking and seeing, um, they turn it, oh, we just got mature. Because when I see y'all in a comfortable setting, when I see y'all comfortable and we hanging out and it's just us, that flamboyant, hey, Miss Honey Girl thing and blah, 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 you running around with boys behind closed doors and flamboyant as you were when you were a teen and when you were in your early 20s, but... It's still there. It's just that as you got older, you learned that you still couldn't navigate that the the real when you were younger, you know, you got your parents taking care of you. Um, so if you if you have that privilege, um, you, you you it was like a it was like almost like a political thing for you to do. I am me, I am hear me roar. And once you get past the all right, I can be openly gay about my sexuality, 
you still have to survive. And so where you know right. you're not compromising <laughs> right. you, you you you're not compromising your sexuality. And yes, you're openly about that. But what starts to happen is you are forced to conform to the rules of society in regards to how you present yourself. So no longer are you wearing, you proud to wear the rainbow or proud to be bright and colorful all the time. You kind of tone it down. And I see that happening a lot of times with gay men, but it, it they don't acknowledge it as conformity. They acknowledge it as, oh, we just got mature. We just got this. And I'm like, that I could be it. a part of it, but I see a lot of the conformity yeah. happen. I gotta I gotta give you some pushback on on that one time, and um, and also with with my personal experience being a flamboyant personality, being a flamboyant trans woman, right? Especially being more flamboyant when I grew up. But from what I hear, in flamboyant gay men, um, feminine presenting gay men, men who have gone through periods of being primitive feminine presenting, I think you are, for one, hitting the nail on the head with the whole job aspect. I think when these feminine and flamboyant personalities and presentations in men can navigate a workplace, I think that it does exist in a different way for those who can't learn to navigate that professionally, right? Who feel like they can't really be themselves at work. However, I do think that maturity is an aspect. I, I do think that genuine maturing as a person and maturing in the sense of honestly just becoming, um, having less energy to be so flamboyant. You know, I think about your boy, I think about your boy Georges, you know, who literally made money off of, off of their flamboyance. You know, I think of people, various hairstylists, and makeup artists that I know, even social media personalities like B. Smith. I think over time, they do a lot, of, and a lot of us, from a human perspective, who are flamboyant, we do just tend to turn down over time just because some of that flamboyance, I think, exists not just in rebellion, but also in insecurity. And as you grow older, you find less need to be loud. I think for a lot of us who are flamboyant and have flamboyant personalities, it tends to be a coping mechanism. And as you grow older and become more comfortable in your skin and more comfortable in your existence, you feel the need to be less loud and um, less extreme. And I also think that some of it comes with just um, growing old biologically. And, you know, me, for example, I still love to Vogue, and um, but I can't do it as much. I can't, you know, give an eight count to the store anymore just because I'm not physically fit enough. You know, um, I work, I work too often. I'm, I'm not dancing. I don't have as much time to dance around the house as I did as a kid. You know, mm. I don't. I've definitely heard more from some of my friends who are like cis gay dudes who are more flamboyant about like some of their experiences with work and stuff that. I I just did not know they were experiencing, right? Like the type of pushback, the real subtle shit, you know, um, just the constant, con you know what I mean? And I honestly learned a lot from them on how to like navigate certain situations because I'm perceived as queer all the time, right? Um, I think a lot of trans guys are, regardless if they are or not. Um, but also like just to the, with this conversation, I was just thinking about how like when we were younger, 
in the early 2000s, like one, one of the reasons myself and a lot of my peers who were other like queer, trans, folk, black folks and folks of color, when we found this opportunity to get the fuck out and I could do something and still be myself by doing this kind of um, advocacy work or organizing work, this is like one of the few, like that's how we looked at it. We were like, this is one of the few options I got where I don't have to compromise my sexuality. I don't have to compromise my gender expression. I don't have to compromise my gender identity. And I, I know at the time it really felt like threading the needle to find space where I could have some kind of stability, you know, obviously when you want to do impactful work or whatever, but just like, but be me, you know, cause I did, I was like, I don't see where I can do this. And obviously this is before I transitioned and there was a lot of dysphoria and I didn't really know what, you know, but I was like, I gotta find somewhere where I can be comfortable. And, and that was definitely um, a factor for myself and just like kind of how I've navigated. Um, but to your point around just like, yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't just be, you know, we're all as black queer and trans people, we're all on the margins of the margins. And so like, uh, you know, that all this thing to me, reactions to survival stuff yeah. too, you know? So audience, um, one last thing I want to say before I ask y'all a question. Um, audience um when you are a person or you know somebody who is or that's ushering in and this goes back to the little richard documentary that i want y'all to watch and check it out um when you're ushering in cultural change a lot of time we are moving in the future we want in our heads like so and the the analogy that i kind of think about is Say we got a cup of steaming hot water and then we are like the ice cubes moving through the world and we're changing the temperature of the world. We want it to be a, a comfortable, lukewarm world where we can be, it's not hot and wearing us out and slaying us all the damn time. But what happens is so many people do the people we listed all the people who we are right now all the people that we see on tv all the people we are all like ice cubes being put in this hot ass water and so sometimes people like little richard don't get to see when we get to that place where it's a cool lukewarm water and you know so they're navigating religion they're navigating their reality even though they were trying to push for a future that is different for people like them they still are navigating the reality and, and coming up against ideas of, well, maybe I'm about to die. Cause you, when he was about to die, you know, he shifted back into that church mode. And so somebody who was raised in a church, maybe they, they don't know, you know, they still are questioning religion. They're still thinking about it in a different way. And sometimes you succumb to that indoctrination towards the end. And they don't know that they're, this ice cube pushing us into a, a different temperature in our climate and they never get to experience it in the way that we experience it. This freedom, even though we're not totally free, we're not totally in liberation and we still, we have been past the torch, but sometimes we gotta give grace to people in our past because they were living in the future and they had. Yeah. yeah. And we got to give them grace. And so I, I don't look at, at little Richard navigating those kind of contradictory things as a negative. Look, I don't think how I thought 
when I was younger, even though I was trying to live in the future. I don't think I'm I'm not going to I hopefully I'm not going to think how I think now in 10 years from now. I want exactly. to change. I want to grow. I want to get better. I want to shift. And so give our ancestors and give our elders and give our, um, our you know, our people that has navigated and, and have been trying to shift culture some grace. And I hope um you know, I'm just, I just want to talk. I just want to tell y'all, give them some grace and understanding and tell their stories with that kind of grace that we want for ourselves in our change. So thank you. So what I want to ask the audience before we close out. Come on, David. Yeah, yes. I, I, I want to ask the audience, who inspired you? Who were your icons? Who were your people that that were that lights of queerness and not necessarily sexuality because queerness is more than just sexuality. Um, so what what who were some of these icons for you hashtag marsha's plate earlier this month there was uh there's a new finished brand that came out called oh man i'm gonna mess up my fin is that what is that the line what do you call a fin finish language is it date what finish. Is finish i think it's finished is it finished i thought it was yeah. finished. okay so there's a new brand called luo coset and it launched the world's first tampon for men. It is an attempt to meet the needs of trans men and non-binary individuals who might be experienced having a period. In the case of trans men, some might have their periods while undergoing hormone treatment, while others may not decide to take any kind of hormone treatment as well, or it might be on and off. Um, and so they said they intentionally um, brought this up, or not, sorry, launched the product uh, during uh, Trans Awareness Week to highlight the way our hygiene products are gendered um, they said they want to help 93% uh, of trans men who have experienced menstrual-related gender dysphoria because of their periods. Um, so they're going to start out small, and then they're going to launch nationally. Um, they said by changing attitudes and broadening perspectives, we can also stamp out discrimination against gender minorities. The least anyone can do is to understand that periods do not define womanhood and understand the diversity behind them. Um, they have received a little pushback from, you know, adoration on the internet, obviously, because it's the internet. Um, but I thought this was pretty cool. It also made me think about um, the recent uh, book that came out, In My Daddy's Belly. Uh, oh, child, I forgot the boy's name, by Logan. Don't give me a line. What's his name? Logan. Logan Brown. So Logan Brown uh, recently uh, came out with, wrote a book called In My Daddy's Belly. And it's a book about a trans man being pregnant and having a baby, I believe. Yes. And so there was pushback from some folks within the trans community around some trans men and trans masculine folks around the way that people were talking about that book. I thought it was interesting too with this because this is also something created by a trans person, another trans guy. Um, he said he's going to package it in blue simply to indicate that it's for administration. And that's it, which I think is still kind of weird about the colors, but okay, hey. Um, but yeah, so what he did mention though is that, and we and we have a, we'll have a link in uh, National Institute of Health. They've done a lot of different surveys around trans, young trans people, and 93% um, of the patients reported menstrual-related dysphoria. 88% um, were interested in some kind of menstrual suppression. Um, and just, or like no period at all, or some kind of improvement um, around the dysphoria to get some kind of make it lighter or something like that. 
Also, trigger warning for folks who might be triggered. That's the whole point I'm about to get to. So most folks had uh, gender dysphoria and there was, yeah, there was some pushback around Logan Brown's book. Um, I would imagine there might be some pushback around this product from some trans masculine people. I think that, uh, and TERFs, obviously, excuse me, let me be clear. The TERFs are coming, the TERFs are coming. And I think that, it's just interesting because it made me think about the pushback. Like I said, this this made me think about the pushback on in my daddy's in my daddy's belly, um, because on the one end I do think it's important to, like representation is important. Not all trans men like some trans men have kids. Like period. That's whatever. That's what it is. Some trans men get pregnant and have babies. That's just what it is. But I do think there is a level of nuance and care that should be attached to how people talk about it, versus like. You know, my, my thing, I'd be like, LGBT Inc. Be like, we have stamped this for approval and now it's our quote unquote norm and this is how we're gonna talk about it. You talk about it any other way, that's a problem. You know, when it's like, yeah, it should be nuanced because some trans guys don't wanna have babies and that's the majority of trans guys <laughs> and, and have a lot of dysphoria. It's documented dysphoria, right? Around having periods, around even thinking about carrying a baby. Um, and that's not to say, right, so just as much as we need to respect folks who are having babies, some intentionally and some not intentionally, right, we also, I think we also need to, you know, take into account the experiences of like everybody else too. And so approach it with care and nuance and not just like, oh, this is just a thing. No, it's, you know, so we know just like the health provider who's going to talk to me about a pap smear is going to use some care and intention and nuance. I think that's, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think we need to kind of use that lens as well. Um, but my question for you two are, uh, you two are two questions. One, like, what are y'all thoughts in general about the book, about that kind of tension? Um, like, what are your thoughts on bringing up health issues that also can bring up dysphoria? Um, and like the mainstream of that, you know? What do you think about that? Um, do you think it should just be like, yeah, it's cool. Like, this is what we're doing because this is what, what we this has been given the official LGBTQIA stamp of approval. And this is how we're going to talk about it. And now we're going to brand it. And this is what we're doing. <laughs> you know, because I, I do get concerned about that sometimes with, uh, you know, once things get a seal of approval uh, that we're like socially moving forward, uh, we kind of, you know, Kind of gets a little weird. So, so what are your what are your thoughts on the book and the tampons and some of the controversy that came up with that? But also, like in general, for yourselves, I don't know if there's like an equivalent, right, when it comes to trans women and trans femme folk. Um, yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts? I mean, Jesus. Um, first and foremost, I want to say that I am not a trans man. Ultimately, I would be minding my business if we were not discussing this intentionally but since i'm minding y'all business i think that the tampon for men is doing a bit too much i i think it's sloppy marketing i don't I, i'm 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 not proud of it from my perspective but then again baby um i'm not a trans man my my issue specifically if if we're if we're going to be completely specific my main issue with the tampons for men is that they're literally tampons for men. Like you you just slapped another, you're just putting more gender 
and more gender roles and more gender expectations specifically on the brand so much that it is the packaging. You can't run from that. I mean, I think, I mean, I'll say this. I think in the con this context of this person also being a trans man and trying to, like, I understand what you're, what you're saying in general, because I think that's just a general issue around pink taxes and things like that. So I'm not confused, you know what I'm saying? Like around how people market things, the pink taxes when people market things to women and they upcharge, right? So like, that's real. But I, you know, it sounds like to me, he's trying to market to, he wants trans guys to feel comfortable picking up some tampons that are meant for trans men. There might be something about how it's designed that makes it uh, better, a better product. I don't know, right? Do you get what I'm saying? Because things do change, um, particularly in people who take testosterone. But also, I think the the the, uh, the for menstruation was trying to capture the folks who are non-binary, right, or transmasculine don't identify as men. You, you just think that's just doing too much? <laughs> I think that I, I think that that should have been the whole goal. One of the main things that we have been screaming to the overall community is take gender out of shit. Take gender out of processes. Specifically, I mean, I mean, gendering body um, body processes, gendering reproductivity, gendering uh, menstruation, gendering um, anything under anything under biological processes, because realistically, um, there are people who are not men, who are not women, who don't see themselves as men, who don't see themselves as women, and they have menstruation. You know, um, trans people aren't going anywhere. Cis people aren't going anywhere. Non-binary people aren't going anywhere. I guess the question that you're, that is being presented is, is gender neutrality enough? That is what that is what's being asked because I get it. What you're saying makes total sense. Like I was like, why even make this so specific, so specific gender um, when you could make the marketing more neutral and please everybody? But when we talk about that book, when we talk about um, in my daddy's belly, the pushback for some trans men was this was a source of my. Um, periods and um pregnancy these things are a source of my uh, source of my um dysphoria and it and i don't want to see these things or i don't want to see these da, 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 da. but it's a part of for me with the book and this tampon stuff for me it's like somebody needs this yo you you yeah. I, I, everybody can't navigate your dysphoria everybody can't navigate your own particular issue so there's gonna be that's why i i push back on about trigger warnings i do it because I, I my, my co-hosts like to do it but look everybody can't navigate you specifically I, it's like some people need a book about pregnancy because they want uh, they want to have a baby. Some trans men want to have a baby. And so that this book is for them. It's for them. It's not for you. If you don't want to have a baby, it's not for you. And there's going to be some things out in the world that we see that's not for you. And so ignore it. And yes, if we all trans and we're on the internet and we going viral, but you got to ignore it because some people need it. 
And I ask this, do you think, based on how people talked about the book, this particular book, do you think it was handled with nuance and care, or do you think it was handled as, as like, this is the thing we're doing? Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? Do you think Do you think that it was handled with care, or do you think it was handled, or was it just the, you know, just straight up marketing and like not kind of considering the fact that it's the internet. Uh, the internet is going to be the wild, wild west. There's going to be some people. Yeah, no, no. I mean, that, yeah. There's going to be some people who handle it with care, who who know how to speak to the issue, who know how to talk about it, and there's going to be some people who don't. And that's how the internet yeah. works. It is people who don't know how to talk about shit, don't know the issue that will bring it up. It's going to be toxic. You're going to have the shade mm -hmm. room. You're going to have the Hollywood unlock. You're going to have these people who don't have the nuance and the education to talk about. But that's what people like us come in and say, hey, let's shift this conversation to this. This is our job. This is the this is what we put ourselves on the line to do as as content creators, as creator of LGBT representation that voluntarily educate the public. It is our job to push back up against it. So there is never going to be a subject when we think about any subject that we talk about on the internet where it's going to be always handled with care. Can we call it out when it's not handled with care? Sure. But it's, we can't guarantee that it's not, it's going to be handled with care. But it is our job as content creators, as somebody who are public facing in regard to our education about queer people, queer things, trans things, da, da, da. It is our job to give it that nuance as educators. But we can't expect the whole damn public to treat it with baby gloves because they're not going to. I don't, I don't and I 100% agree with that. I, I do, I do want to validate uh, the dysphoria situation because 98% of people <laughs> who are trans masculine, like this causes a lot of dysphoria is, a, is a, a good majority of people. Even for some of those people that had gay birth, right? And like might have dysphoria, the same dysphoria, but just had to do it because they were pregnant and their bodies did a thing. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I do, I just want to, I want to validate that because I think it's important to when it comes to talking about trans men and trans masculine people, but especially black trans masculine people and trans men, to always look at it as this is going to be a diverse set of people and not just the people that's like, I want to be whatever alpha dude, not just the people I'm in college and I'm talking about all this analytical shit, not just the people that's just minding their own business and super self, not just the people, you know what I'm saying? Like, if we go, uh, I just want to, I'm just saying in general, like, always if we're talking about any kind of support for trans guys, any kind of advocacy for trans guys, any kind of addressing health for trans guys. I think it's always important to look at it through the lens of some of these people gonna be on hormones, some of them are not. Some of these people gonna be da 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 da, da. some of them are not. Some of these people, it, because that's just what it is. Kind of keep I'm that not in mind. There are so, There's a set of things that are just gonna be common. I'm not, you know, I'm not pushing back against you specifically what you're saying, because I understand what you're saying. Yes, there's something that, that are going to be common. But coming from a community that is less than 1% when it comes to cis and trans, I don't care who right. the majority is. There are some things as a trans person, that 1% that I need that is specifically for me. And yes, 90, 90 something percent of trans men may not want to have a baby, but there are some that do. And this book is specifically right. for them. And, and that 98% just going to have to fucking deal with what comes with it. Yes, validate the dysphoria. Yes, but it is your job to navigate that. This minority group 
needed that book. And so you got to figure out how to navigate it. Just like us, as a trans person who comes from the 1% of trans people, 1% of humans that is trans, there are things that I need specifically as a trans person that I need to see. And if a cis person pushed back to me saying, I am the majority, the majority is not trans. When I'm telling you about my damn needs, you know we're not going to accept that to get to the crux of gender dysphoria or get beyond the crux of gender dysphoria is to start taking gender out of things. For a lot of us, especially the binary. Yeah, take the binary out of things. Like you're like, you know, making making a tampon for a man. Um, You're essentially not doing much better than making a tampon for a woman. How about we make tampons for people who need them? Hold on. Hold on. I want to push back on that. Because when I, if I go to the store to go buy a tampons, like that's a thing. When I gotta go do a reproductive health with a beard, all that kind of stuff, that's a real thing. I'm trying to make the bigger point that if we take the gender out of all things involving vagina, if we take gender out of the idea of, of having a penis, you know what I mean? Then I think that that for future generations will help to eliminate the overall issue which is gender dysphoria itself. That's real. I, I mean, the good thing, I will say the good thing is that they're doing a limited edition in Finland and then they want to widely distribute it in 2024. So I hope they are taking our people's They knew that if somebody on, on that marketing team was thinking like me and they was like, this ain't going to work, baby. I mean, they are getting blown up. Is it the mm-hmm. issue of what you're saying? I see the, you know, I'm coming in to the, 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 the section of to get tampons for my period and everything is pink and everything is, uh, uh, I can see I how mean, that can be that triggering. Is, or, the fact that your body is doing a thing already is like, you're fucked up. Right. But that's what, and that's something also, that's personal. But it's, but it is, but I'm saying like, I think because having a period is such a common shared experience for assigned female at birth people, particularly those who have to navigate as women, it's not. It's a part of the social experience for many black women worse this gender, right? It's not just you get your period in silence and you just by yourself. No, a lot of cisgender black women will get their period. They're like, girl, I'm on my period. Girl, can you bring me some da-da-da? Girl, da-da-da-da-da, or whatever. So, mm-hmm. it's, so I think part of that socialization it, it is a very kind of social thing. And when it becomes a not social thing, because people look at you and expect you to not be social because you're now, quote unquote, a cis assumed black man in the world, that fucks your head up. So now we got some shit thing. So it'd be, it'd be it, so it's, it's kind of, all I'm saying is it's layered. So is, and it is not, it's, it's layered. Yeah. Is, say, so it's complicated for some people and not for others. That part I get. Is it, is it, is, and that goes back to my question, is to fix that, is gender neutrality enough? If I'm not seeing a bunch of pink and I'm seeing a yellow or a green, I think, or I think uh, what's the, what's the fix? Listen, I think it's perfectly fine and valid for a trans man to feel validated and to want to be affirmed in their gender, period. So if <laughs> that means for some trans guys, feeling affirmed in their gender to be able able to take care of their health might look like this cool 
I understand the broader thing, and I, I'm just speaking from a place of in the middle of blending what we want to see and the reality and the real material conditions of, of particularly black trans men who are out here not taking care of their health because they don't feel affirmed or safe and all these other things, right? Um, and it's not little stuff. When we go back to, we talked about that book, Shifting for Black Women, all that shifting, you know, it's just a new study. I'm talking about black women because of racism, cis, cis black women they were, they were speaking of, because of stress from fucking racism is leading to this higher incidence of stroke, right? Like there's all of this shit is connected. And so I just don't want to not talk about that or put that in that context because I think it's important to put it in the context when it comes to cis black women. And I think it's important to put it in the context for people who have to live in the world and navigate and be assumed to be cis black women. So it's complicated. That's all I'm saying. It's <laughs> complicated. Like, that's all. We just need more time to talk through it. Um, but yeah, let us know what y'all think. Do you think it makes a difference? Do you think it makes a difference if the shit is marketed gender? I know we wrote that in the ideal world. We're talking about today. Do you think it makes a difference if it's if it's uh, marketed uh, ooh, specifically to trans men or to people that get menstruation? Some people might be triggered by that. Um, yeah, what do y'all think about just like, yeah, everybody's got different lived experience. Um, what does it mean to be triggered? <laughs> I, I don't know. But yeah, let us know um, what y'all think um, about this topic. And yeah, do you feel triggered? Do you think we need a genderless? Can, do you think we can achieve the genderless situation today? Or what's your thoughts about getting there? All right, let us know. Hashtag Masha Split. Gimme, gimme, gimme euphoria, more than peace of mind. It's the joy in space to change the tide. Gimme, gimme, gimme euphoria, more than peace of mind. It's the joy in space to change the tide. Gimme, gimme, gimme you a feeling and a high you never come down from. Whoa, whoa. What has been bringing y'all euphoria this week? Well, Diamond, for me, it, the euphoria this week has been the housing market. Honey, I am feeling euphoric and living in a place where the, the landlord doesn't pressure me much to pay the rent because he knows that not many other people would live here outside of me. And I think he knows that I wouldn't live here if I didn't need it, need to live here at the moment. Um, but no, seriously, um, I'm I'm starting to appreciate my, my little basement apartment, you know, as I'm coming out of my mental health crisis and coming back to reality, I'm starting to see my space for what it is. And that is essentially four walls. And everything that will make it home will be the things that I do and bring and add to this space. So I'm finding euphoria in, in my own space and, and in my home right now. Mm. So I think that's amazing. I think somebody being that forgiving in regards to um like rent and shit, I feel like, yay, that's good. Because well, this I'm, motherfucker is well, chasing coins. We we want we want to pray and continue. We want to pray and hope that the landlord continues to realize that you know he has not come to fix anything that I need fixed. 
And, um, you know, the apartment has literally leaked since I've been here. Um, I'm hoping that he realizes that we are doing each other a favor. And I hope he continues to realize that we are doing each other a favor. And hopefully one day he will realize that he was a part of something bigger and more important than Mm. he may have realized when allowing me to move in here. What's bringing you euphoria, Jay? What's bringing me euphoria? Um, last couple of days, I was able to spend some time with a whole bunch of other Black queer trans people. First of all, I'm still got euphoria from being in Houston. <laughs> Let's be clear, because yeah. that's my soul, big time. We are no, I'm in White Land, y'all. But I was not in White Land over the last couple of days. I was with other Black queer trans people on the National Day of Mourning, aka Thanksgiving. Boo. Anyway, but was in community with folks. Eight down. Eight all the way down um folks from down south were cooking so i had you know real oh man it was good. anyway so i'm grateful for that that's bringing me euphoria bringing me gender euphoria just to be able to be uh in community with other black queer trans folk um over the last couple of days so yeah and just be mm. you know i'm grateful for that mm. what about you diamond what's bringing you for it oh so yes last week last um sunday we had a not this sunday just passed the one before that um for black trans empowerment week um y'all weren't there because we couldn't afford for y'all to stay the whole weekend so we just we had y'all there for the event and left the next day the next that next sunday um, they usually during Mahogany Project and SOS usually do like a um, awards brunch and um, it kind of gives honor to people in the city and there they surprised me with a woman of the year award. They didn't tell me it was happening. And I'm sitting there. And I'm, you know, I'm there for the event because I'm like, hey, like, <laughs> and they done told me that they gave Aria a Lifetime Achievement Award. So Aria, we, they had already told me about Aria. They told me that I was going to present her the award. And so we presented it to Aria and then I sat back down and da 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 And then all of a sudden, Woman of the Year Award come running. I'm sitting there like, who's going to be Woman of the Year this year? And it was me. And they brought all of the Houston girls who have won, because it's a city thing, um, Houston girls in the community who have won the award before in years past. And they had oh, them wow. lined That's- up, lined up in the um on the stage. And then they started talking. And I was like, wait, hold on. So I just started bawling and crying because I didn't expect it. And it was so dope. And, you know, I'm not from Houston. I am from Indianapolis, Indiana. I am not a native. And so to be, for the community to wrap their arms around me and acknowledge my work and acknowledge that I am a part of the community and, you know, a powerful part of the community and an aspiring part of the community. Um, it's so dope when it's not your hometown, even though in the beginning, you know, in October, I got my hometown showing my love for me to get, get some love shown to me in this city that I call my new home. It, it just has been amazing. And it was, it brought me so much euphoria and so much appreciation. And yeah, I've been here for 16 years and yeah, this is the first time. You know, people, of course, I've been in events and people love me and stuff like that. But to be acknowledged by girls who you don't, you, 
that you didn't didn't realize it is watching you or inspired right. you. And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. it just was so dope. It brought me so much euphoria. So that's what brought me euphoria this past week. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So y'all let us know what has been bringing y'all euphoria this week. And yes, this has been long as hell. So it's going to be split into two. And so, so yes, we will <laughs> see y'all next week. Yes, talk to you. Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We will be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamondstylz at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. You going to say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, y'all. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Every little thing's going to be all right. Every little thing's going to be all right.